This is Lego Football. And we're back. Let's talk about the derby d'Italia and the predicament that Inter, Juventus and Milan find themselves in right now. You're with David Farini, Serie A commentator. Welcome to Lego Football. It's been a big weekend across the peninsula in Serie A. I'd like to welcome back Emmett Gates, one of the best Serie A journalists out there, writes for Forbes and the Gentleman Ultra, amongst others. Emmett, how are you? Oh, thanks for the kind words, David. Glad to be back on Lego Football Pod, as always. And um, looking forward to dissecting last weekend's Calcio accent. Calcio accent. Yeah, and maybe you're stumbling on your syllables because... You've been speaking a bit of Spanish lately, a bit of Italian. You've been down in Argentina. Yeah, it was just, um, I was in Argentina for a couple of weeks. Uh, got to see some Boca Juniors um, and some Huracan. A couple of Argentine games when I was there and some Morales de Diego. Fantastic trip. Inspired by your heritage as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, most of your listeners probably don't know but I'm half Argentine half Irish um, although we're not completely Irish <laughs> well how could they not you sound so Latino so <laughs> yeah exactly and look so Latino like but so yeah it was it was nice to go to Buenos Aires and check out the city I mean if any 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 of your listeners haven't been to Argentina but are considering going would definitely put it or definitely recommend it to, to put it on your bucket list great city great people great culture plenty of football and it was actually it was refreshing in a way because there was that real lack of European football in Buenos Aires it was all local stuff and that's really it was really good to see there was no Premier League no I actually did see a few Serie A jerseys I saw Juve Roma a couple of times uh, with Dybala um, some kid had a Roma shirt with Dybala on the back of it um, I saw Inter with uh, Latero uh, but uh, yeah, it was really refreshing to see a lack of European football presence in Argentina. It was all the local stuff, Baca, River. Um, so it was, yeah, it was really good. Any Napoli shirts? Uh, actually, yes. I went to Huracan San Lorenzo on my final night in Buenos Aires. And that's like a local derby. Uh, basically, it's like two neighborhoods that are side by side. And I did see a guy with a Napoli, Biotoni. It, it wasn't a real... Uh, shirt you could tell it was a t-shirt but it was the Biotone tribute to the old 80s Scudetto yeah the the shirt that I have that um, some of your listeners might have seen David when we did our, our leg of football trip to the Naples earlier in the season um, so I did see a guy with a, a Naples shirt on even though it was in a Huracan game and Diego never played for Huracan so um, but yeah like very little European football presence in Argentina and really refreshing um, but yeah, just in general, if anybody wants to go to Argentina, we'll thoroughly recommend it. Well, I want to. And another reason why I want to is because I saw some of your images. And for those of you who want to check out Emmett Gates, he's got some of these. He is at Emmett Gates, E-M-M-E-T-G-A-T-E-S. And you can go and have a look at some of his trip. Uh, you might have to scroll down, though, because he posts a lot of stuff. So, uh, and one thing I wanted to, to go to here was to bring up that trip that you mentioned before when we went to Morales Maradona and we saw all the images of the great Diego Maradona throughout what Toledo area wasn't it uh, around Naples in the Spanish Quarter and you saw some epic murals while you're buzzing around Buenos Aires yeah um, so I did uh, after the, the Boca game on my first night I did like a walking tour of La Boca which is 
the poorest neighborhood in Buenos Aires, but it's also the most colorful and the most vibrant. And it's where La Bombonera is, where Baca play. Um, and there was several uh, Diego murals in all different styles, like mosaics, uh, tile mosaics, painted mosaics. Um, there was flags. His presence is very big in La Boca, but there's one on Avenue San Fran, and anyone that follows me on Twitter will have seen I posted a picture um, a couple of days after I, I saw the, the mural, and it's a massive 14-story high um, image of Diego um, in Italian, at Italia 90 in the final against West Germany, and he's kind of pumping his fists and like um, willing his team on. And it actually genuinely got me emotional, like just staring at the sheer scale of it and how beautiful it is. And it was just me. Uh, I had a few, uh, admittedly, I had a few apparel spritzes in me at this point, and um, I went searching for it at like 1.30 in the morning by myself in Buenos Aires and I, and I it's it's on Google Maps like if you're in Buenos Aires and you type in Moradana mural it'll come up and it'll, it'll direct you to the mural so I got there and it was just me and Diego just this massive massive mural of, of, of Moradana it was just me on this empty quiet I did see street. it it's exceptional yeah and it's one of those where words can't put in you know can't do it justice it's just it's it's just it's beautiful like I'm even struggling now to articulate how amazing it is <laughs> I saw it it was colossal and I know that it definitely got you moist and I mean moist from the eyes so <laughs> exactly know, one, of these, um, one of these Maradona murals yeah exactly it was it's just it's one of those things you have to experience it you have to go you have to see it it's absolutely beautiful and it, during the day it's even better because it's it's the the away Argentina shirt from Italian 90 that dark blue and you just see Diego like the the defiance in his face he's like willing his team on um, and I think at that point I'm assuming the image was taken after West Germany had scored and he was trying to like will his team on to try and get back in the game but it's just a beautiful image and it was one of the best things I've seen in Argentina when I was there. And I also spent a week in Patagonia seeing mountains and glaciers and whatever else. But that image of Diego was definitely, it probably trumps all of the murals that we saw in Naples, David, uh, just for the sheer scale of it. like it's, That's a big call. It is a big call. But if if you ever get to Argentina, I think you'll agree with me. It's like 14 stories high. It's like 45 meters by 40 meters wide. It's absolutely ridiculous, but it's a gorgeous piece of art. It's, it's just mesmerizing, like the man himself. Yeah, it looked breathtaking. The the images, I was quite envious from what I saw. And you did go from the central and northern parts of Argentina all the way down. And you were, you were roaming Diego's land. And I guess you could call it Lionel Messi's land as well now that he's won the World Cup. And hopefully you said a prayer in the, what, the glacial region of Argentina for Napoli to be able to continue on and and win their first Scudetto since the great Diego led them there. Is there, is there something there maybe you did? I mean, I know that you support Diego more than you do Napoli, especially as a Juventus writer and, and avid fan. Uh, so did you say a prayer for me and Naples? <laughs> I didn't say a prayer, but I, I paid homage to Diego by... Um, I went tracking on the on the glacier uh, Perito Moreno in Patagonia, and I wore a Diego T-shirt yes. to represent the great man in Patagonia. Because I'm not sure if he ever went to Patagonia, but I made sure Diego was represented on that day. 
And I tell you what, considering Napoli are what 18, 19 points clear, they're 21 points clear 19, of Inter yeah. at this point. And yeah. considering their path in the Champions League now, like it's wide open for Napoli to make the, the final. If Napoli do somehow bowl, and in the same year that Argentina win the World Cup, you have to say that is Diego at work. There is no other explanation for it. Yeah, it's a repeat. It's a repeat, but while he's, you know, after he's passed, he did that in 86, 87, and now it's it's set for 22, 23. Same thing. Argentina win and Napoli wins. He never won the Champions League, though, so maybe he's pulling the strings. El Dios, definitely from Buenos Aires down to Patagonia. I, I, don't, I don't care what you say, Emmett. He's everywhere. God is everywhere. El Dios is everywhere. And exactly. so far, Napoli on top, 19 points. We're not going to speak too much about Napoli th- this time, only because in the last pod that we put up, we focused on the Partenope with Joe Fischetti, who joins. And apologies for those of you who have been waiting for the next pod, but I've been a busy boy uh, going around calling games and, and doing my thing. So we're back. Emmett's here. Um, one or two teams, we'll segue here, that Diego Maradona did not play for and despised Inter Milan and Juventus. Massive <laughs> game on Sunday night and <laughs> Juventus got the win. Um, I called this one for flash score. I'm sure you watched it. And, uh, in fact, I know you did because you sent me over a picture which I, uh, you know, has you in a Juventus jersey. Now, may get someone to put that up as a mural in Naples before we go <laughs> in June. <laughs> uh, Kostic, lovely finish. What do you think of the non-controversial lead up to that goal? <laughs> Look, being like, obviously putting on my journalist hat here, I will say that it was, I mean, it's debatable. Yes, it was handball. No, no political responses here. We want the truth, Emmett. We yeah. want the truth from one of the great Serie A journalists. <laughs> you, you, you can give your opinion as a journalist first and then a fan. You would How say, yes, it was, it touched Rabio's arm and then Dusan Vlahovic's arm. But that was more or less in the center of the pitch. From an inter perspective, I'd be more concerned about the defending for Kostic's goal in the sense that... Agreed. Rabio, Rabio then makes a deep run in the Inter territory, slides the ball to Kostic, and then you've Dumfries, Denzel Dumfries and Matteo Dorm, uh, Dormian literally just stand there and let Kostic take control, take aim and shoot and score. Like, wh- the defending from Inter was shocking. So, Do you think someone yelled out to Denzel Dumfries to stay, like, did someone convince him that he was the goalkeeper because he was standing in front of Onana yeah. in the goalkeeper position? And Onana was unsighted and the whole of the rest of the goal was gaping. Surely, Dumfries had to know Onana was standing behind him and that the rest of the goal was probably unattended. Yeah, like, to me, it's more it's more not how did the referee not, you know, give the call for handball. It's more what was Dumfries doing? Like, he just stood there. A, he didn't close down Costage. B, he as you said, he blocked Onana's side of view. So Costage literally had one whole side of the net to aim for. And it was a beautiful finish. It was low, it was crisp, it was hard, it was direct. But like, what was Inter doing for that? Like, Dormian didn't close down quickly enough. Dumfries just stood there like a lamppost. So you're just thinking, and he blocked Onana's view. So I'm just thinking, I would, from an Inter, if I was an Inter fan, I'd be more concerned about that that handball that was 
40 yards backwards. You know what I mean? Like, to me, that was the biggest issue. It was. Was it a natural position where the ball hit Rabio or, <sighs> or, or brushed Vlaovic's I mean, it's one of those. You, body, I don't want to say arm or sleeve. You, or, you've seen them given and you've seen them not given. But to me, it's like you can't. It happened so far back in the middle of the pitch. You can't say, oh, you know, that goal should have been chalked off. You know, maybe technically by the rules of the, the ladder of the law, it should have been given as handball. I don't really know. I mean, unnatural, natural arm positions. Like, we could we could sit here and debate this all day, David. But if I was an Inter fan sitting here today, I'd be more concerned about Dumfries and Darmian's positioning as opposed to something that happened in the middle of the pitch. Yeah, it was embarrassing, to say the least. And these professional footballers getting paid three to seven, eight million euros a season. <laughs> And to be defending like they're playing in, you know, the New Zealand domestic league. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't get... Dumfries is hot and cold for me uh, as a player. Yeah, he's had a very difficult second season. And I think if Inter had sold him last season, last summer, for example, they prob- probably could have made around 50, 60 million euros on him because he had such a good season. But I think this season, his valuation has plummeted um, dramatically. I'd, I'd say Inter will be looking out to get around 30 million for him. I just think, I don't know. I just, I think he can't defend, to be honest. I mean, admittedly, I haven't seen a, lo- a whole lot of Inter in the league this season, but I just, from what you read on the reports, he hasn't really, you know, performed that well. Uh, and as you say, he is very hot and cold. He hasn't performed that well, and he's one of the younger players. Exactly. He's one of the younger players, and his, he's probably one of the only players in the squad with a lot of value and that Inter will likely sell one of, you know, there's three or four players that they likely will sell in the summer because of their their eye-water and levels of debt. You know, you're talking 319 million euros worth of, of club debt. You know, you've got uh, Denzel Dumfries, uh, Nicolo Barella, as you said, you know, Latro. There, there there's only a couple of players that Inter could sell and make substantial profit on. Uh, but Obviously, you wouldn't want it to be Barella or Latro Martinez. It would have to be Dumfries. But his form has been so up and down, as you said. I don't really know how much Inter would make on him if they sold him in the summer. They might get their money back and they'd be able to reinvest it in something. You know, Raul Belanova came on and he did okay on that right side. Although, you know, when you come on with 10 or 15 minutes to go and everyone else is quite fatigued, it's, it's, uh, and you're at home as well, uh, Inter playing at the Miazza. It's not that uh, too difficult a task compared to going to the Allianz, for example, and taking on Juventus away. But Onana, 26 years old. Dumfries is 26. So is Barella. DiMarco is 25. Then you've got Lautaro, who's 25 as well. Correa is young enough, but not performing. Belanova's there. But so many older players. And you mentioned this in your most recent Forbes article that you've called good enough to beat Barcelona and Porto, but not Spezia and Empoli the return of Pazza Inter, you just don't know what you're going to get from them at all because you've got a draw that they were lucky to get away in Portugal against Porto. They lost to Spezia just before that. They beat Lecce at home. They lost away to Bologna. They beat Porto at home. And they've had some outstanding results, but some absolutely shocking results at the same time. Uh, And what's your take on where they can go? What direction? Do they keep on bringing in some of these more experienced uh, veterans, we'll call them like a Mkhitaryan or Jekos, you know, and which ones would come to the club given that Inter don't look like 
a club that are going to win a Champions League. I mean, they might actually do it this this year. They're still in the competition. They're up against a very tough Benfica side, which, you know, I, I called a game uh, that they played recently against Club Bruges and they absolutely annihilated them. And I, I understand it's a Belgian club, but Benfica look like a lethal outfit at the moment. And I'm not sure Inter, considering they got done by Spezia and Bologna, could contain the likes of Goncalo Ramos. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think anybody that watched the game against Porto in Porto will recognise that Inter were extremely lucky, especially in those last 10 minutes when Porto were knocking on the door, hit the post, hit the crossbar. Uh, I think it was Dumfries cleared uh, a strike off the line. Like, so Inter were very lucky to make it into the quarterfinal and there's no guarantee that they did Benfica. You know, you, you could be looking at, you know, an Inter-Napoli semi-final. As you said, like, they've had such a weird up-and-down season. Like, they've lost nine league games this season, which is more than in the last two seasons combined. And they're somehow still in third, which is kind of a, a dominant indictment of pretty much everyone else in Serie A except Napoli because everyone else has been inconsistent Juve have been consistent but obviously the points deduction has you know reduced them to 6th or 7th in the table but for the rest of Serie A they've been so up and down and Inter kind of symbolises that in a way like as, you, as, as I wrote in the piece they can beat Barcelona they can beat Porto but they can't beat Spezia Bologna Empoli and I think there are questions now over Simone Inzaghi in the sense that he's underperforming with the squad that he has and against Juve they fielded eight players that were over the age of 30 and I think as you said David such as their financial situation they can't really afford to buy anyone and Beppe Morata who was kind of known as the king of the free transfer during his, his early years at Juve will probably have to go in the free agent market again this summer uh, but I would let a lot of that team go to be honest and kind of not start over completely not a revolution as such but a, almost like a mini revolution like Lukaku will be sent back to Chelsea like they paid 20 million I think to get him on loan and he, he scored three goals in Serie A all season like he's only played 15 games yeah he has looked better in recent weeks yeah but I mean the season's nearly over you know what I mean we only have like what two months left the Lukaku situation will be different if it was a free loan and his wages weren't that high yeah but it wasn't a free loan on his high. So it's like, he's not really, on his day, yes, he's completely worth it. But such has been his season. He's been, he's had niggling injuries. You know, it's either this or that. It's, uh, he's not worth paying that amount of money for. Brazovic signed a contract extension, so Brazovic can't leave him free. But he's 30, so he may, he still has a lot of value. He could be sold. Uh, Dumfries is definitely in the market. Uh, Milan Skriniar is leaving for PSG. I think that's pretty much a, a kept secret at this point that everybody knows. Stefan de Frey might leave. He's kind of fallen down the packing order under Nzagi. Um, they have to keep Onana. Uh, you've got Bastoni there. You have to keep Barella. You keep Lathro. But like the likes of Mkhitary and Jacko, like at their age, I'm saying that Jacko has probably been their, their star striker this season. You know, constantly performing. Latro has scored 14 goals in Serie A but he, he'll score five in a row and then won't score for two months and then he'll get another couple he was so quiet against Juventus yeah it's either feast or famine with him there's no consistency which is almost like Inter in a nutshell so but I definitely do think there is questions over in Zaghi you know he's did really well in Europe and he could get them to a semi-final potentially or a final in the Champions League and he's got them to the quarter-final for the first time 
since uh, since Leonardo was in charge of Inter for a cup of coffee in 2010-2011. But in general, I think he's underperformed with the set of players that he has. Would you agree? Yeah. Simone Inzaghi has had a lot of heat come his way this season, especially following not just the game against Juventus, but the, the loss to Spezia. I think a lot of Inter supporters had sort of done their dash. And a lot of, I've noticed on social media, on blogs, on articles, they're, they're already calling for a new coach. And, you know, for those who want to follow news with Inter, of course, there's the Semper Inter guys. And also even Richard Hall uh, runs the official English version of the Inter podcast. So people can plug in and, and listen in or read. So apparently Tiago Motta, who's in charge of Bologna and actually got the win against Inter a few weeks back, he is one of the names that has surfaced. I'm not sure how that will go. I'm not sure if he's ready. But yeah, they're looking at potential names. Of course, every big club's the big three that are not doing the best at the moment. Of course, they're always going to be linked with other names, not just coaches, but players. And they're always looking to stay up there, keep their head above water, which is basically staying the top four if they can't win it. And for me, Inter might go down that avenue of what Allegri and Juventus have done, who is another coach and another club that has been on the receiving end of so much hate and hate this season. But in their defense and without the 15-point deduction, they would be in second place above Lazio by four points and 15 behind Napoli. I guess it's negative 15 in two different ways there, Emmett. Get the joke? But <laughs> it's uh, it would be a situation. They're in seventh. And to me, the disadvantage mentally, psychologically of being told, well, sorry, we're taking 15 points away. It's enough for Juventus just to sit there and think, you know what, let's pack up and play the kids and not worry about this season as long as we stay up. But what they have done is knuckled down and they're developing players like Matias Sule, who just started. He started above some other decent players on Sunday night and he wasn't too bad. There's also Fajoli who started and saw out, I think, the whole match. Uh, you've got uh, Gatti, who who started at the back with Danilo and Bremer. Locatelli's 25, Rabio's 27, and his value's probably doubled this season. Kostic is a new addition. He's 30. The two wingers, in fact, were 30 years old on Sunday night. De Chilio on one side and Kostic on the other. But then you've got, in that middle, down the spine, you've got Flavic, Rabio, Locatelli, Fajoli, the ones that started centrally in midfield and attack, all in their early to... I would say mid to late 20s, with Rabio being the oldest there at 27. Gatti's 24, Bremer's 26. It feels like they have the skeleton of a team that can challenge for big things in years to come. And then if you look at the bench, you can see the firepower they had uh, was Chiesa on the bench, Di Maria on the bench. And I know that he's aging, but he's a world champion. Paredes, another one. Then you've got Milik, who is injured. You've got Badenechea, who's another one of those young kids that have come in. And through necessity, he has been blooded in the big time. So for me, there's a lot there to work with. And I'm sure they will expand on that, depending on how bad the situation is come season's end. If they get those 15 points back, they'll obviously uh, be in a much better position to attract better talent in the summer, I will say. But then you look at Inter and, and they have Mkhitaryan on the bench, Dzeko on the bench, and 
you know, besides Belenova and Aslani, the the younger brigade and Korea, it's it's you know, they aren't the, the biggest talents out there for me. You've got Midetti that I didn't mention for Juventus, which is another really good young talent. Moise Keane, who wasn't available. Pogba, I guess we'll see what happens with him. He's not young anymore. I think he's what, thirty years old. But, you know, you've written in your article the one about the return of Pazza Inter. And in fair play to you, you've mentioned the handball. You wrote a lot about that. And you went into Simone Inzaghi, if he should be worried or not, and the Denzel Dumfries issues. And and uh, then you mentioned, you know, the the exits, the, probably the most likely players to leave for Inter. Who, in your opinion, would want to leave Juventus at this stage, if especially if they got that 15 points back? Yeah, exactly. And I think, too, it's also that because of Juve's debt, club debt, which is nearly as bad as Inter's, but not quite. And the fact that, you know, there may be, there could, there could be a transfer ban looming due to, you know, the, the overinflation of player prices and the whole, you know, the whole scandal that we've kind of come to know as uh, lately. You know, you, one of the punishments could be that Juve are banned from signing players for a couple of transfer windows. So they've no option but to turn to youth. And as you say, Juve have a very nice spine coming along nicely. And another player that you, you didn't mention was Samuel Ealing Jr., who's a left winger, used, used to be a Chelsea youth product, who has come on to kind of great effect um, earlier this season in the Champions League. You know, he's another one to be excited around. He's only 19, if I remember correctly, maybe 20. Uh, so Juve have a very good spine there and there's even talks now like for the longest time Adrian Rabio, I scratch my head thinking what is he good at what like uh, what did Juve see in him that they made made him a, you know a big signing you know not in terms of transfer fee but they paid him 7 million euros a season for the last three and a half years and I'm thinking what did they see but now this is arguably the best season that he's had at Juve and he's playing at the, the highest level to such an extent now that at a certain Juve tried to get rid of him last year. They agreed to sell him to Man United, and now with well, his contract expiring this summer, they're trying to tie him down. Uh, latest reports in Gazetta state that Juve maybe going to offer him ten million a season now to keep him because he's he's kind of matured as a leader of this team, and he's kind of the him and Locatelli are the fulcrum of the midfield. And then you've likes of Fajoli and Fabio Moratti that can kind of come in and around. So Juve have a really good nucleus there of talent, and they're young. And the value is only going to grow. But you look at Inter, and Inter is at the other end of the spectrum. There's no, aside from Pastone, and I'm not sure what age Federico De Marco is. I'm thinking he's, what, 25, 26? Yeah, Inter really don't have a young team. They're very... If, if, if somebody did know Italian football and you, you sat someone down and the Derby d'Italia was on on Sunday and you said one of these teams is known as the old lady, which one would it be? You would probably say someone, the person would likely pick Inter. Because they have a lot of old players, whereas Juve, maybe through necessity, they didn't have a lot of money last summer to kind of to buy players. They've had to, Allegri's had to trust more in youth. And you've seen that now with Nicolo Fagioli. You know, he took the most of the opportunities uh, through uh, Leandro Paredes and Weston McKinney being injured. You come into the side and now you think he's, he's never going to leave. Like He's a permanent member of that of that midfield you know there's Fagioli Locatelli Rabio right in the middle you know obviously when Pogba comes back Pogba maybe plays a 10 or you know when Di Maria comes back and he'll play behind the striker but you've have a very good nucleus there and as you said if it hadn't been for the minus 15 you've have a second you've would be Napoli's main cha- or well yeah would be Napoli's main challengers their form shows us 
that psychologically they have been almost unfazed because they have had blips and they got blown away by Napoli when they went to the Maradona. It was a 5-1 win and I will remind you of that one. Emmett was one of the best games of the last decade for me anyway. But um, they do show signs considering that they are not a perfect side, obviously, Juventus. They do have some deficiencies, maybe on the right side with Quadrado and De Chilio, both of them aging, especially the Colombian. But they they might have some young players there, such as uh, Asule, who might be able to play over there, or Anilin Jr. Uh, it could be Federico Chiesa. We all know that Allegri's been criticised for leaving Vlaovic isolated, and Chiesa finds himself playing a wing-back role for some portions of different games, and I'm not sure that he's at full fitness anyway. But is there someone there that they could push out to the right side to help out, or could Kostic double up and go over there. I, I'm not sure uh, on, on what the capabilities are. Is there anyone from the Juventus under-23s even? You could maybe put Ealing Jr. and invert him because he's left-footed. You could maybe put him on the right so he could cut in. You've Costage on one side, Ealing Jr. on the other. Although I'm not really sure if Allegri would maybe go down that route. But I think the thing with Chiesa is that Juve are kind of, you know, gently easing him back into full fitness. And he, he as we saw in the Derby d'Italia, he only played for 17 minutes. He came on and then he had to be substituted because he was he came off he had pain in his knee I think um, so I think Juve are you know being gentle with his transition back into football again so yeah I mean the system's there you know it's Allegri's playing a 3-5-1-1 um, and you know if you get Di Maria back Pogba back and if you get Chiesa fully fit you know it wouldn't surprise me if Juve end up finishing second on current form like the way they're going you know, they've only lost three times in the calendar year. They're the third best defensive record in Serie A after uh, Napoli and Lazio. So, like, everything is pointing in the right direction, despite the minus 15-point deduction. And as you say, when that was handed down, they didn't say, all right, we'll just pack up and go home. And the season's a write-off. They're like, right, no, we're going to... You know, it's almost like a siege mentality, us, you know, us against everybody else. Kind of how the Italian national team do when they do well at tournaments. It's, they, they form a siege mentality, and that's what Juve have kind of done. They have. I guess one advantage that Allegri has and Juventus has in general is that they are the biggest club, they're the most supported club, and they do have a roster of players that can knuckle down and get the job done. You know, you've got hard nuts in there like Locatelli, Danilo, uh, and Bonucci. We haven't even mentioned him. He's still got. I guess, a little bit of runoff from the Chiellini kind of mentality. Uh, another hard nut. Uh, Vlaovic, despite some of the uh, deficiencies for this year, I guess you can call them deficiencies, eight goals compared to his Fiorentina days. But it did seem like he had a lot more support. Uh, the, the midfield at Fiorentina were able to support him a lot more than what Juventus are doing. It feels like Vlaovic is there to hold at the ball or run into an attack space with a long ball uh, and that doesn't happen that often. So for me, Juventus in seventh, currently with 41 points. You add on 15, they're back to 56. And we'll see how their appeal plays out. If not, they should make Europe. They have four points behind Atalanta now, 11 games to go. Inter here, where, where do they go from here? They've got Fiorentina uh, coming up soon and then Salernitana in Serie A. They've got Juventus again in the Coppa Italia. I think that win on Sunday night is going to be a psychological blow. It's all about mind games, especially with the heavyweights at this time of the season. We come March, April, May, 
this is where the trophies are distributed. So Juventus has Verona and then Lazio coming up. That Lazio game will be a smashing game, in my opinion. Uh, wonderful to watch. That's coming up on uh, Easter weekend, I think. Uh, before going into the game against Inter, they'd won nine of their last 11 in all competitions. Very, very different form to Inter. Very, very different form to Milan, the defending champion, who in my opinion is quite a weak defending champion. What's your take on Milan? <laughs> I don't know who's more inconsistent, Milan or Inter, at this point of the season. Like, yeah, I mean, I think we discussed this, David. Even when Milan won Serie A last year, they're probably the weakest Italian champions of the millennium, of this millennium. You would likely argue, like, I can't think of too many weaker teams to have won Lo Scudetto. And I think you're seeing that play this season, you know, they made the signings they brought in over the summer really haven't worked out. De Vacarigi hasn't really kicked the ball. You know, Charles De Catalare will come good in time, but he's very young, very precocious. He's going to take a couple of years, I think, to kind of settle into Italian football. And basically, Milan's kind of running on fumes. The fumes of last season, the same players, pretty much the same system. Pioli's kind of changed things up after they went on that horrible run in January. But yeah, they're definitely the worst defending champions I can remember for in a, in a lifetime. You know, I, I'm trying to, off the top of my head, I can't think of any side that went from champions to the next season where they, they finished, you know, they were so-so. Like maybe Verona in 85, 86 maybe. I can't think of anyone else that was as bad as, as Milan or this season. Can you think of anyone? Yeah, well, you, you're talking about Hellas Verona, which is a small club. It's a provincial and yeah, exactly. we're trying to compare yeah. that to AC Milan, one of the greatest teams in history, especially when it comes to European football. I guess it could be a case where when they won last season, it was at a point where they were up against their city rival in the race, and it was a fantastic race, which they won on the final day. They had Ibrahimovic more involved. He's hardly been involved. And congratulations to Zlatan Ibrahimovic for becoming the oldest ever player to score in Serie A. Uh, it scored that penalty after the retake against Udinese. But <laughs> you look at that Udinese game, they were outdone three goals to one. And as a defending champion, I'm not saying that you can't lose games, but my point previously was going to be they got it done over into last season because it was a city rivalry where it goes one way or the other. Juventus on the way down, the exit of Cristiano Ronaldo taking its toll. The, t the team wasn't gelling. Allegri was getting crucified through the media and Napoli, of course, being Napoli choking. And now we've seen this season a total uh, mirror image of what Napoli has been doing in past seasons. They are getting the results while playing arguably the best football. And Milan have kind of stuttered. And it's another case where they've got a little bit of the dad's army syndrome while trying to bring in a couple of these new faces. I mean, Malik Chaw has been great, but he's been outdone in a couple of uh, big clashes. You've got Brahim Diaz, which came good. And we saw that spectacular goal against Juventus when we went to the San Siro back in October. Sandro Tonali doesn't have the same impact that he did last season, though. Uh, they brought in Origi. He's not having an impact. Rafa Leao is, is superb with the ball at his feet. Not so great when it comes to goal conversions. Ante Rebic injured. Ibrahimovic injured. Giroud has been probably their most consistent forward. And they're trying to bring in players like Pobega to rotate um, with Benacer. 
uh, Adley, Bakayoko. I mean, these names to me are not, you know, they're squad players, obviously, but Krunic, I'm not sure he's a player that is going to get Milan big trophies, such as Champions League, for example. So is it a case of Milan just trying to make do with what they've got? Yeah, I think in a way, too, that Milan is almost, at certain times, the, the opposite of Inter, whereas Inter are bringing in older players like your Jackos and your Mkhitaryans. Milan are going the other end of the spectrum and trying to bring in very young players. And it's taken them more time to adapt than they necessarily have. You know, Milan have the time to, like, they need to hit the ground running. Whereas I think Milan are kind of at a point now where they need to be banned ready-made superstars. A, a lot of their team is young and inexperienced. You know, you think of, like, Brahim Diaz and Theo Fernandez. They've, yeah, they've kind of grown over the last few years. And I think that's kind of been their model to get younger players in, let them grow over a couple of years. But then that can also... They, they can hit face difficulties, like we've seen with Di Catalari where he's very young, very raw, and it's going to take him a couple of seasons to kind of get up to scratch in Syria because he's come from the Belgian League and with all due respect to the Jupiter League, the the difference in quality is, you know, massive. So I think Milan have got to a point now where they need to be buying ready-made stars, but to buy ready-made stars, you need money. And, and Milan don't have, really don't have a lot of money. So you go to the, you know, they're going the other end of the spectrum and trying to get young players in with the hope that they can grow over two or three years. Inter go the other end and they get free signings that are 34, 35, 36. So I think there's kind of, both of them, are, their, their, their philosophies on how on buying players is very, it's, it's contrasting in a sense. And it's both, it's, it's led to then inconsistencies in, in both their, their games. Juve, I think, have kind of got the, the right balance, maybe through luck or design, who really knows at this point. But I think, um, and we've talked about this before, David. Napoli's signings, summer signings, have all hit the ground running, where and that hasn't been the case for Inter or Milan. And I think you're seeing that play out now in the Serie A table. Do you think that the funds involved with the player transfers these days and what Serie A brings in from TV rights ultimately is having an effect on teams like Milan, who, like you said before, they've got a few of these older players, such as Ibrahimovic and Kaya but they've come to their expiry date now. As you said, they're bringing in these, this young brigade, such as your Chores and your Kalulus, uh, and your CDKs. They did let go of Daniele Maldini, which I thought was a mistake, but he's come along and he's getting playing time and, and, and he's going okay. He's caught actually against both the Milanese sides this season. But is it a, are they bringing in, in these younger players because they don't have the money? It's simple as that. Yeah, pretty much. I think, you know, under Elliott management, the, the task was get the club debt down, make it as, you know, appetizing as possible for prospective, you know, buyers or investors. And if you look at Milan's debt over the last three or four years, they've really trimmed it down. You know, Paolo Maldini's done a brilliant job as sporting director. And I think Milan's current debt now is around 71 million. When you compare that to Inter's, which is 390, Juve's is in the 300 million plus, Roma's is 241 million, Napoli's actually in the black. They're doing, you know, as we know, Aurelio De Laurentiis runs a very tight ship financially. So Milan's uh, under Elliott management and now, you know, Redbird Capital, which took over the club in September, uh, that's pretty much the ethos is make Milan sustainable, you know, self sufficient running on its own two feet. You know, the days of Berlusconi pumping in tens of millions of pounds into the team are long gone. The downside to that is then is that they have to go with youth or buy players. They have to think of, you know, innovative ways to 
sign players and that inevitably is either you go very old or you go very young but there does become a time then where you have to get in that mid-twenties you know players at the at the peak of their powers or ready-made superstars you know that are good to go hit the ground running but for that you need money and neither team have that at the minute actually a lot of teams in Zaria don't have that at the minute <laughs> and it's not just the Milanese too Scouting is all important as well yeah Napoli, Atalanta Sassuolo uh, these smaller clubs and you know we have to repeat Napoli although they are a well-followed side they were bankrupt 15, 16, 17 years ago they have methodically worked their way back to the top and they've been at the top for a while they haven't won a Scudetto for a while but they have been finishing in second and third quite a lot um, I think uh, the if you went back and, and calculated all the wins and draws and losses over the past 10, 12 years, I think Napoli would be outright second behind Juventus. So that shows you what De Laurentiis has done with his team, like what you, you've just mentioned. And finally, after the, the big, big clean out over the summer, it's all gelled together because of the transition in their sporting management where they said, you know what, let's not give up. Although we are losing Koulibaly and Ospina and Fabian Ruiz and Mertens and Insigne and Goulam and all these big players, they went and got players that were good but not scouted and brought in by the likes of Inter, Milan and Juventus, and they've done okay. You bring in a player like Kvaratskhelia, you know, Napoli's only going to be in the black a lot, lot more when they sell him. And Ossiman, another one, you know, both of those players would be upwards of 100 million euro at this point so that could set up Napoli for this dynasty that you've been talking about oh easily see there was talk of PSG offering 160 million euros for Karis Velia this summer like considering they bought him what for 10 million <laughs> 150 million euro profit on a player in within the space of a year but I really hope that Napoli don't sell either Aussie men or Karis Velia I do think as I've said to you before it's clear, I think, for Napoli to kind of build a bit of a mini dynasty, win a couple of Scudetti in a row, you know, especially if they get to the final, like they'll make over 100 million euros from UEFA and prize money. That would offset, you could either extend Ossiman's contract on the same for Charles Villa, give him a wage bump, or you could bring in, you know, a couple of 30, 40 million pound players, reinvest it in the team. And there's nothing stopping Napoli winning the Scudetto again next season. Yeah, I don't see why not. So I really hope that that team doesn't get broken up and stays together. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And even though they look good to challenge for the Champions League this season, they might be a little bit underdone in terms of mentality, learning how to get the job done this season by being the Italian champion may help them go a step further next season by doing the same thing through the groups of the Champions League and then going out there with a different psychology against your Real Madrid's and your PSG's or whoever, uh, knowing that you've won a big trophy such as the Scudetto, it may help them. So hanging on to Ossiman and Cavadascalia uh, and Labotka, who's all important for that side, in my opinion. If they lost Labotka, it would be a very different looking midfield. So that's what they've done. Juventus is the closest to that, in my opinion, of the big three. Inter, look, they have the talent, but for whatever reason, I'm not sure. If, is it a case of big egos with Inter at the moment? I don't know. I just think it's a dysfunctional side. And I just think a lot of key players are out of form. Lukaku, we've talked about, you know, has already kicked the ball. Latro, we've talked about, blows hot and cold. 
I just think a lot of these players is kind of the end of a cycle. You know, like a lot of them are still there from the Conte team that won the title a couple of years ago. I think Inter almost need a clean house to kind of, almost like what Napoli did last summer. You know, we saw Napoli get rid of Fabio Ruiz, Lorenzo Insigne, Koulibaly. And they're the better for it. I think that's what Inter need to do this summer. They need to get rid of three or four of the long, you know, the mainstays. Try whatever money they can gather, find down the back of a sofa at uh, Inter's training ground, and then try and bring in a couple of fresh, fresh races, bit of a fresh impetus, and then they can carry that into next year. Because we, we saw that with Napoli last summer, and we both talked about it. I thought De Laurentiis was going to downgrade and downsize Napoli's ambitions after selling Koulibaly, Fabian Ruiz, letting Insigne go, letting Dries Mertens go. I thought it was kind of maybe one too many players. But Napoli look all the better for it, and they're a far better team. They're they're quicker, they're more innovative, they're faster, stronger. They're just a perfect blend of youth and experience, you know, power and precision. And I think Inter need to follow what Napoli did this summer and let three or four of them go. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. And congratulations to Philip Kostic for that tremendous strike from the angle. Disappointing for Marcelo Brozovic, 250th game in Serie A and into not getting the result, regardless of what you think of the lead-up to the Kostic goal or not. Juventus get the three points. They look fairly good to qualify, regardless of whether they get those 15 points back or not, of some place in Europe, whether it's Conference League, whether it's, uh, I was going to say UEFA Cup, but Europa League. (laughs) Showing your age there, buddy. Yeah, sure, mate. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, for those of you who don't know, that are 12 years old, and listening in, <laughs> the UEFA Cup is the Europa League. Now, do you have your parents' permission to listen in? And it used to be a competition that Serie A dominated for 20 years. Yeah, yeah, we used to see some epic finals. Parma in the 90s, absolutely supreme. We saw, I think there was four four all-Italian finals in the 90s in the UEFA Cup, if memory serves. Just for just for younger listeners who don't know the history of the UEFA Cup, yeah. it was almost like the Coppa Italia Due. Yes, and a couple of epic Champions League finals, also known as the European Cup. So, and Juventus actually winning one of those on penalties. Great Gianluca Vialli, rest in peace. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we'll move on. We'll just mention the Derby della Capitale. There was a little bit of this and that in the crowds. It was a lot to your home game. So, lots of blue on show. Roma going down. Wonderful Zaccagni goal. Chris Smalling kind of trying to bundle in a, an own goal uh, for the reply, got disallowed. A big result for Maurizio Sarri. Lazio in second place, where Juventus would be if they didn't have the points taken away. And uh, they're looking okay. Roma, one of those sides, again, like Inter, where you just never know what you're going to get in the last couple of months, where if they're playing at home, they hadn't conceded a goal. They got blown away by Sassuolo, albeit with 10 men for some of the game. They are at that stage of the season as well where you don't know what's going to happen with with Jose Mourinho whether he's going to get carded one week or say something a bit controversial in his press conference I think he's doing all of that uh, every week to be honest but um, Roma in fifth Lazio in second and interesting article out that I read on The Athletic uh, talking about the Lazio-Roma game the journalist in question was uh, mentioning how Lazio fans and Roma fans, it doesn't matter where you finish on the table as long as you win that particular string of derbies. Lazio have won both this season. So congratulations to Bianco Celeste supporters out there. I guess 
it's your year and you're on top of Roma in the standings, I think that there still would be some disputing if Roma were above Lazio. They would say, well, we don't care if we lost the derbies. We, we're above you on the table. But I'm not sure, Emmett. What, what do you make of that Zaccagni goal and, and Lazio's season so far? Just quickly, we won't, we won't go into depth with it, but would Juventus, if they didn't have those points taken away, would they be, would you class them as a better side? I will articulate that uh, than Lazio. Um, no, I don't think so. I think Juve... I mean, Maurizio Sarri has done a great job at Lazio and he's obviously taken them in a different direction than they were under Simone and Zaghi. Definitely more attacking, more impetus um, uh, on attacking and you're, you're not exactly seeing Sarri ball but you're seeing a variation of Sarri ball and what he's did with Zaccagni, you know, he's, he's turned him into a potent uh, forward and it was a lovely finish. Like, I love, I was kind of sending you off air, I love those type of finishes where you kind of just bend the ball Around the goalkeeper into the you know into the opposite corner, um, but I think the mentality that you that you you spoke about of like it doesn't matter where you finish in the league as long as you win the as long as you win the derbies. I think Mourinho really couldn't care. To him, it's all about winning trophies. That's what you're judged on, and I think he's trying to take Roma away from that. You know, I think if you said to Mourinho, "Look, you're going to lose both Derby della de Capitale's, but." you win the Europa League or you get into the top four, I think Mourinho would snap your hands off and take it. He's trying to get Roma away from that almost small-time mentality that has kind of characterised both clubs, you know, for certain, for a large period of both their histories. You know, that's all that matters was beating each other. You know, Lazio and Roma are bigger than that, especially Roma are bigger than that. Um, so I think Mourinho really couldn't care as long as, you know, you know there's nothing stopping... I, we were talking about you know the Champions League draw and how it's looking nice for for Napoli. It's also looking nice for Roma. You know they've got Farnay now, who they beat in the Conference League final uh, last season. They've got them now in the quarter final of the Europa League. If they beat them, then they face Bayer Leverkusen in the semi final. So the path is open for Mourinho to get another European final with with uh, the Gelo Rossi, and they could meet Juve in the final if. Juve beat Sporting Lisbon and maybe potentially see off Man United or Sevilla. So Mourinho is going to be thinking about that and getting Roma into the Champions League. I don't think he's going to be overly concerned about losing another derby. And I think Lazio have did well to be fair because I don't think Roma have scored against them in either derby this season. Uh, so Sarri has did really well, uh, but for me, as I kind of as I said, you offer also. I think it would kind of be. Not criminal, but I don't think it would serve Serie A well to have Lazio in represent Italy in the Champions League next season, even though they probably deserve it. But I don't think they're a good enough team. You know, if you put Lazio up against a lot of the Champions League sides, they probably wouldn't fare it that well, to be honest. Uh, and they're definitely not as good. You think they struggle to get out of the group? Yeah, definitely. Depending on the group, yeah. I definitely think. I think Lazio are a Europa League team. And I'm probably going to get slack now from uh, Laziale across the world once you put this out. But I stand bad. I don't think they're a Champions League team. Unless L- Claudio Latito, who, as we all know, is a bit frugal when it comes to spending money, you know, invests in the team in the summer. If he doesn't, then that current team won't get out of the group. Absolutely not. Yeah. Well, apparently Latito and, and Mourinho had words. Well, <laughs> there, there's a surprise <laughs> that I don't think Lazio were better than Juve. Even even with a minus fifteen, if you were putting the two teams, like the teams play soon enough, I think, and like was it the eighth of April, the ninth of April, the two teams play, and I can see you there winning, and and that's me being a neutral. 
like even up with the Juventus hat on or just yeah yeah just on form and on the back of beating Inter away yeah uh, Juventus will take on Lazio at home I'll actually be covering that one I think let's move on to the Italian squad talking about some of these big teams in Italy let's talk about some of these big players there's a few interesting things to talk about here we won't spend too long but Di Lorenzo obviously the right best right back in the nation Toloi's still there Spinazzola a lot of the Euro 2020 winning older guard and Matteo Damian back in I don't know you were mentioning to me off air about the Italy midfield obviously their strongest department what do you make of the attack there's a new name there Matteo Retegui who plays his football in Argentina to a place where you've been quite recently Tigre yeah I mean it's it's a damning indictment I think of the real lack of quality bombers in Italy in Italian football now that you know they're Roberto Mancini has called up um, a lad from Tigre on the other side of the world who you know has never played in Serie A has never even played in European football like it's you know, when you look at the attackers and you just think when you think back to the 90s even the early 90s and you compare it to now you, you just you have your head and your hands thinking where have all the strikers in Italy gone and it's something that you don't really see it's going to be rectified you know Federico Chiesa I think is probably going to pull out now of this Italy squad due to the, picking up the injury in the Derby d'Italia you just that it's a it's a sorry list. That's, that's all I'll say. Like, and that's me being diplomatic about it. Diplomatic. Uh, Matteo Retegui qualifies for Italy with a Sicilian grandfather. He's been picked up after some good form in Argentina with Tigre. He scored 29 goals in 50 appearances there. He's on loan and never really made much of a an impact at Boca Juniors with just the one game. Uh, he's also played with Taleres and Estudiantes, another 18 goals between those two stints. So, you know, he's at 23 years of age. He's been compared to the likes of Chiro Immobile, uh, also Arturo Cabral. I saw one reference. So I'm not sure what he's going to bring, but I guess it's at the stage where you want to bring him into the squad and see how he gels with the, with the other players. If he's good in a training session, he's got to take his chances, of course. Also there, Politano, Scamacca, Grifo, Chiesa, who you said might actually pull out, Berardi and Pafundi, the Udinese youngster, 16, 17 years old, and he's a real talent for the future, obviously there for the experience and may get one or two minutes off the bench. So, yeah, I agree with you, Emmett. There's a few issues up forward, especially. You would think that Skamaka will start as a striker, maybe Nyonto on one side and Berardi on the other. Politano might get a, a chance again. And Grifo has impressed in past games. So those games coming up against England and Malta. It'll be interesting to see what England do. But um, obviously Donnarumma back starting goalkeeper I'd say Alex Merritt would be the second option and uh, Providel who's another Lazio player who's come of age this season Acerbi Bonucci I mean Bonucci has got one leg to stand on Emmett can you see him getting a run? 
I think Bonucci should have retired after Euro 2020. He should have followed Chiellini and just stopped. I mean, he's not getting any game time at Juve now. Again, it's kind of a dominant indictment that Mancini has kind of called him up at the okay, stage. In there for his leadership. I think he should have walked away a winner. I'd be very surprised if he got any game time, to be honest. And Romagnoli from Lazio there, uh, Scalvini from Atalanta, Spinazzola from Roma. So I'm not sure what Romagnoli is going to bring. He has hit form this season. Scalvini, good young talent for the future as well. So he looks ready to step in. Uh, Bastoni, obviously injured from Inter. Some decent names in the Italian under-21s. Uh, Udoji's there. Pirola scored his first ever Serie A goal on the weekend. He's another defender. Uh, Ruggeri at Atalanta is impressed. We've also got uh, Cambiazzo at Bologna, Belanova at Inter. Uh, they're the defenders. Kaneseki from Cremonese. Actually named in the under-21 squad. Now he'll be called up by... Mancini, I think. So, Bove from Roma, Cassidy from Chelsea, also Fajoli Miretti are there, Emmett. So, good for Juventus and good get some more game time and gel with this young Azzurini lineup and up forward, Baldanzi of Empoli, Cancellieri, who's at Lazio, Colombo of Lecce and Muletieri, who scored nine or ten goals this season again in Serie B's, the boy from Inter on loan at Frosinone. Good segue here. Let's take a look at Frosinone. Well, I've got you, Emmett. Frosinone are the runaway leaders in Serie B and look set to come up for a return to Serie A. Now, we've got one or two other teams that might be on their way up already. Sort of done deals in Calcio at the moment. Napoli looks set to win the Scudetto. Frosinone, what do you think? A return after three, four seasons away. Another team from Lazio. Can you see them coming up? Yeah, I mean, it looks like they're running away with Serie B at the moment. Um, I'm a fan of Frosinone. Like, they own their own stadium albeit yes it's a it's an Ikea flat pack job um, but at least they have their own ground and they can fill it um, kind of brings a decent atmosphere um, so yeah I'm a, I'm a fan I, any club that's kind of progressive and forward thinking is always a good thing for me um, so yeah I'll be happy to see Frozenoni back in the in the top flight and yeah it looks like they're pretty much starting to be wrapped up you know they're clear of Genoa and Central well Frozenoni is on 62 Genoa was on 56 and Sudtirol on 51. And the way Serie B works, the top two teams go up and Frosinone are 11 points above Sudtirol, who are in third. So, yes, it looks as if with eight games to go, they would be hot favourites to come up. Um, and just on the, the subject of a flat pack job for the stadium, at least it's not a scaffolding job like in Cagliari. So, uh, <laughs> Frosinone looks set to come back up. Cagliari uh, are in sixth and there's a chance for them in the playoffs. Uh, Sutirol, another team that came up from Serie C last season and they had a shocking start to Serie B and they have somehow, through hunger and determination of a, a team of nobodies, got their way into outright third place and they're only five points off Genoa. Genoa should make their way back up. They're a massive, massive club, even in the context of Serie A. They've def- definitely been the top 10 biggest clubs. So they look okay with 56 points. They've had a, a bit of a resurrection after a, a dodgy start as well. Would you like to see Genoa back up if Sampdoria goes down? Uh, no, ideally you would like Genoa and Samp in the same division together. Like obviously it's it's been a shame not having the Derby della Lantana this season. Um, and that's another game, David, that I think we need to do a leg of football trip for to see the, the Genoa Derby. 
Um, but yeah, I think you need Genoa and Samp in the same division at the same time. It wouldn't be nice to have, you know, maybe having it in Serie B. So even in fourth division, it'd yeah, be fine. I think, but you need the both of them together in the same division, not having one up and one down. Because I know we had that, you know, in the 90s when you had Genoa up and Samp down and vice versa. So yeah, we need both of them in Serie A, ideally. Um, but uh, you, do, you do think at this point, Frazzanoni and Genoa are going up unless they have uh, like a catastrophic you know, collapse in the final, you know, home stretch of the season. Sure. The other teams in contention, Sutero, Bari, Pisa, Cagliari, Regina and Palermo, they make up the rest of the top eight. And the way that Serie B works is that you have the top two go straight up automatically and the next six play off. Parma and Como and Ternana, Modena are just below the top eight. So they would be the next in line to try and pick off a place before the season, the home and away season ends. Uh, Super Pipples Regina have had a fall from grace. They were leading for a while. Now they're down in seventh. They got belted again on the weekend. And, you know, he's under the pump as well. He might be on the way out. Uh, Venezia in the bottom five. Uh, the way that the relegation from B works is the bottom three automatically go. And that is Brescia and Benevento, who have recently spent time in Serie A. Spal also are in 19th. And then you've got Venezia, who just came down from Serie A in 16th. They're in the playoff zone which is the uh, fourth and fifth last in the division playoff to see who goes down as the fourth relegated team so moving on Emmett there's a couple more in the lower divisions we do like to cover a little bit of Lega Pro also known as Serie C the third division let's have a look at the three groups in the third division and it's Ferrabi Salo on top team from Brescia in the province of Brescia Looking okay. This is the only group in the third division that is still there to be won. Uh, it's only the first team in each of these three groups that go up, and then there's another playoff process. But for Salo, 61 points. Processor from the north of Milan on 57. The ex-team of Christian Maldini, the other son of Paolo. Pordenone, another side. What do you think? Vicenza there? Padova, Novara, Provercelli of seven Scudetti. True, yeah, they're, they're struggling. Still there. Piacenza, bottom of the table. Piacenza, yeah, it might be a shock. Yeah, I mean, we could see if Milan have their way, we could have a stadium at the Sesto. Yeah, it's, it's not <laughs> too far be, out. It's prob- Milan could be playing their games near. Probably just as far as, as San Siro, so wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for the Milanese to have to go to. And what what about Group B? Oh, Group B, yeah, Reggiana seem to be flan. They're above Antella at the moment, which is aside from Liguria. Yeah, you've got Cararese, where Gigi Buffon was born. I'm assuming that is the same side. Carrara. And that's where uh, the old Ciccio Tavano played with Big Mac. Remember Macarone, ex-Italy and Siena striker? Yeah. Glory days. At the bottom there, uh, you've got Alessandria, who just got relegated from Serie B last season. And then in the southern group of the third division it's all wrapped up uh, what do you think yeah Catanzaro 16 points clear of Crotone you know you have Pescara there who's a further 15 points back you know it's mad to think Pescara were playing sorry half football a decade ago and they're another one of those teams like it's kind of like I said you offer Italian teams when they get relegated from Serie A they kind of seem to tumble down the divisions very quickly obviously financial irregularities usually play a role and they're being relegated and you look at that group C uh, Gironi Chi and you've got Crotone Pescara Foggia you know decent teams with good pedigree Messina you know so 
but yeah, Catanzaro have it wrapped up, as you said. It's only one team goes up, so Catanzaro, 86 points, done and dusted. Well, Messina have dragged themselves up from the bottom. They were 20th for quite a while, and now they've got uh, three or four wins and got themselves up into 15th, which is out of the uh, drop zone. Catanzaro are definitely up, and Crotone will play in the playoffs. That's already been confirmed. So congratulations to Catanzaro fans out there. Uh, Catanzaro are a town from Calabria, not far from Crotone, who have finished in second. Yeah, but Pescara, the glory days of Immobile and Lorenzo Insigne. And also on, an, on another note, Insigne's brother, Roberto, has been flying the flag for Frosinone to get back up into Serie A. We might see a return of at least one of the Insignes next season. I think that'll wrap it up, Emmett. Thanks for joining the LEGO Football Podcast. It's been an intense one. We've dissected Juventus. I didn't want to hurt your feelings with that, but at least we got to give it to Inter Milan. Everyone go and read <laughs> Emmett's latest, and he's got another one coming out later this week. You can read the Inter article about uh, Pazza Inter. Uh, you can check Emmett out on Twitter, on Forbes, on only fans um, <laughs> <Born> <laughs> at Emmett Gates on Twitter <laughs> I'm not going to edit that out by the way <laughs> Emmett we'll have you on in the coming weeks thank you for joining pleasure David as always and thank you for your Argentina rap by the way Emmett if anyone wants to go to Argentina would thoroughly recommend it um, if you need any tips any advice reach out to me on Twitter and I'd be happy to help as for Emmett Gates, one of the best journalists in the land, you can find his Twitter account. He's at Emmett Gates. And of course, don't forget to join us once again, the Serie A World Feed, bringing you Serie A and also Serie B. I'm David Farini, your Lega Football Podcast host. Thanks for joining. Ci sentiamo. This is Lega Football.